Bokatov. We are on the penultimate daf of Mesechus Kiddushin, daf Pe'alif, 81. We pick up on the, um, uh, um, towards the uh, bottom middle of Pe'amut Bet. We're dealing with the Mishnah about the uh, laws of Yichud, and the Gemara just learned it out from a Pasuk, which is uh, quite a stretch of Beni Mecha, um, and as was pointed out yesterday by Dov, it both introduces it with Remez Minayi and Paste de Krabamaiksis, a lot of things which would lead us to believe that this is Rabbinic and an Asmachta, although other Gemarot and other Rishonim, and Rishonims, at least many see, um, uh, treat it as if it's, as, as if, as if it's a, a, a Deoraita. However, there are those that still believe that it's to Rabbanan, which I think at least for, for me is more of the plot of what's going on here. Anyway, let's take a look at the Gemara says, Line starts with the word Shaul. It's about 20 lines from the bottom. Let's say our Mishnah that distinguishes, according to the Tanakhama, between two men and a woman, which is not Yichud, and two women and a man, which is, is not going like Abba Shaul. The time we talk about Baisa, If a infant dies within the first 30 days, how do you do the burial, the funeral procedure, in a way that you don't... Uh, do the like the uh, more the uh, it's not done in an overly in an excessive way in a low key way I should say. Um, also, you have to understand we're dealing with a time of high infant mortality, so there's actually some logic of not you know doing a uh, a, 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 a large display of grief sort of. You know, it's a sad, tragic reality, of course, but also, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, like like acknowledging that, and not, um, you know, that's going to be a, p- a part of life, and having to sort of deal with it in a more realistic way. So that's this halacha that you do it as in a more in a more low key way. So the child is taken out if it died within 30 days, um, not in a beer, not in some type of a you know coffin or a bed, but uh, carried in the in, in you know carried in the breast, carried like in the, you know in you know in one's arms, um, and and the burial only takes place with one woman and two men. Um, would also be acceptable to be one man and two women. So what's the debate about? It seems like well, why should it matter? Two women, one man, one you know two 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 men, one women. It seems like it's less a debate about the kavura of an infant and more of a question about you know when they're going to go to the to, to the uh, to the cemetery outside of the city. You know what would be a small number of people that wouldn't be a problem of yichud. Um, presumably the woman, of course, is the mother, I'm assuming. So the Gemara says, um, so what's this debate? So the Gemara says, a few tame Abishol. So you see that Abishol is okay with one man and two women, so it's going not like the Tanakam of our Mishnah, actually consistent with Rebbe Shimon. Two women is not a problem. So the Gemara says, no, Abishol could actually agree as a general rule, one man and two women is a problem. Bashas Aninus Tvir Yitzre. At the time of um, Aninus, this is even before mourning. Aninus is the like the bitterness of the, the of the uh, the shock of the death. You know, at the time of the immediate at the immediate experience of the of the death, um, somebody's the desire, their lust, their sexual desire is subdued, is broken. They're not, you know, they don't, they're not thinking, uh, so, the, so the sexual, uh, presumably these three people that are going out are all immediate family, so therefore there's less of a concern of the Yetzirahara in that case, and we can be more, uh, you know, redefine some of the parameters of Yichud. So the Gemara says, So if that's true, why do the rabbis apply the normal laws of Yichud and not allow one man 
men and two women. They hold like Rabbi Yitzchak. The um, Amar of Yitzchak, because Rabbi Yitzchak says, adam Why would a man, a living man, sort of a bewail or bemoan a man for his sins? So what does this mean? So yitonein, even in the time of you know of a person's uh, tragic loss. Um, so Adam, he still his lusts uh, are still there, and he still has to fight against his desires. So therefore, you know, even you know, even in the case of Aninut, yitonein Adam chai, as long as the person is alive, is alive, even at the tra- even at tragic moments, he has to be a gibor, he has to sort of master his. A desire for sin. The Abishol, and Abishol says, Mi kiksiv hahi, mi So that's not talking about what, how you described it, about, um, about a person at the time of Aninut and about controlling their desires. That's talked about like God sort of bewailing uh, the human being. And what does it mean? Um, the key gavar al chataav. So why is um, you know why will a man excuse me means uh, a person complaining about their lot in life. Okay, so how should a man? Why can a man? What basis does a man have to complain for what befell them in life? The key gavar chataav. Has a person ever really conquered over their sins? He should be happy that he's alive, given how much the human being sins to me. Okay, so it has nothing to do with a time of aninut, or you know, in a time of being mastery over one's lusts. It means how can a man complain, bewail, you know, what happens to him in, in life, given how, how how sinful he is. Rabbanon, and the rabbis would respond back, and they would basically say, look. It doesn't matter, even at a time of aninut, of tragedy and mourning, people are still have lust and desire. Or, they would say, if you don't agree to that, you know, there's other things to be concerned about. Like the story with that woman that there was a story and they took her out. So what does that mean? So the whole debate of Rashi and Tosos, but Rashi basically say it means that it was all a ruse. You know, there was a way that some that that, that they wanted to get outside the city for a sexual liaison, so they pretended that some child had died, and they went outside in order to do this pretend funeral, and there was a way for them to have this, uh, you know, this uh, sexual encounter, the sexual liaison. So therefore, even if it looks, even if I would concede that at really a time of a tragedy like this, we don't have to be concerned we're still not going to change the laws of Yichud because you never know what people are up to. Okay? Um, now, um, so, um, uh, now, um, uh, what's interesting of noting here, and is in general going to be interested about these laws of Yichud, is how much, you know, normally when we deal with halacha, we deal with formal rules. And we don't, oh, we very rarely say, well, in this case, there's less of a Yetzirah, there's less of a concern, we can waive the issues. But we normally have, no, no, no. Like, these are the rules. Like, you're not supposed to read on Shabbos by candlelight, because you might tip it. So you're going to say, well, I have a large print book in this case, or I've got this situation, I'm a really careful person, I'm not, you know, I'm afraid of fire, so I would never anyway tip the candle. Would you say things like that? Or would you say, no, this is the Durabanan, everybody follows it, low plug, you don't make distinctions, right? So we know that Halacha tends very much to be the sort of low plug, don't make distinctions type of an approach. The question 
question is, by laws of Yichud, how much do you look at context to be an ongoing modifying of the laws? Like, clearly some concerns of where is there a stronger Yetzirah or not factors into the original formulations. The fact that there was a difference between two men and a woman and two women and a man was a was rooted in Chazal's understanding of which situations are more likely or less likely to lead to sin. But then would you look in a particular scenario and say, ah, yes, but here everybody's in mourning, so here those laws don't apply. Right? That's unusual. Normally we just have sort of, you know, the laws and they apply across the board. But by Yichud, it does seem sometimes that we're much more willing to uh, reframe it based on context. And that's a really interesting ongoing question which we're going to see. I'll just give you a scenario. Let's say somebody is, um, you know, is, attend- is tending to an um, elderly woman. Here you have this 15-year-old boy, and he is, you know, attending to this 90-year-old woman, and they're alone in the house. Is that also because of Yichud? Right? I mean, well, a man and a woman, whatever, end of story, right? Or do you sort of say, well, let's look at those realities and let's look at that situation and say that even though technically, you know, it's a man and a woman in seclusion, you know, it's not a, con- there's no real, no, nobody's concerned here about they're about to have sex. Okay, so how much do you look at those re- things and you say, no, it's just a formal rule, end of story. All right, so that's something to be thinking about and it starts right here, thinking that at the time of, let's say, death, things might be different. Let's take a look at the next case. Yeah, yes. Yeah, but that's not. So no, no. That's. I mean, that's a good point. But yeah, I did. But that's not an issue because that's about. There's no issue of yichud between man and between husband and wife. Okay, but yeah, okay. But but yes, I mean that's the question. How much is this like formal rules? Or is it formal rules in conversation with, you know, in dialogue with, you know, the contextual realities? Let's take a look. I'm not usually leaning towards the formalist thing. Right. You know, you often read cases in like nursing homes and so on where where staff are abusing. Right. Yeah, I understand. Right. So, so that's sort of saying, like, the Yetzirah is so strong that we don't make any assumptions about people, even though, which isn't saying that we, which is sort of saying, like, a, a further reason here to go by formal rules is because you never really know, which is sort of like the Gemara said, like the story where it looked like they were going on a funeral and they were really having a sexual liaison. So what you're sort of saying is not just, like, what you said is, even if I'm generally not a formalist, I actually can understand here, given the power of the sexual, you know, desire and whatever, you know, and people taking sexual advantage, of people or whatever, I understand here actually a good reason to have formal rules. It's yeah, sort of like it's more to do with whether we're thinking about rape or we're thinking about consensual exactly. Sex. That's also true. Rape or consensual sex. Look, it's also the reason why in an institution you want very clear rules. You know, nobody is behind a closed door without a window. There always has to be somebody else in the building. Like, you know, I mean, these laws of yichud. If you would actually keep, you know, be very mocked on them, you hope a lot of those cases about you know abuse. Right, that occurs sometimes in you know in Jewish institutions or whatever wouldn't have come up in the first place if people where everybody was mocked on these rules. So that whole so thing context. You can't get away from everything being a contextual argument. That is to say, the context requires you to be more formalistic. Or the context requires Well, that right. Meaning, what Dov is saying is, is that even if you're not normally a formalist here, given the like what the Gemara said, right. here actually, you, because of the context, you're going to be a formalist. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay, it raises really interesting questions. You know, um, let's take a look. With um, somebody, you know, like somebody said, well, I don't understand. Can I, I mean, there's a question about like how old, you know, is somebody that you're choshish for? Like, can I have a. 16-year-old, you know, a teenage babysitter watch my 9-year-old son, right? 
or vice versa, boy or whatever, you know? No, it's now. It's not like it's never happened that there haven't been sexual liaisons between a babysitter and a child that he or she is watching, you know? But again, like, you know, how, that's the, like, how much do you say? Okay, that's exactly the point, right? All right, so let's take a look. See, you didn't realize at the end of the Masechet things are going to get so poor. One more thing. Yes? <laughs> the cases we just discussed are actually where there's an element of protection of the vulnerable person, uh, which is different than, you know, to consenting adults. Right. Oh, the cases we were talking about, not in the Gemara. Right. right, and that's always the truth. Like you know, I think like meaning some people are offended by the laws of Yichud. You know, say it's like you know we're all adults. What I can't have a friend of the opposite sex, and you know we can't go over to my apartment to watch some TV or something like that. You know, and um, but people understand them in cases where there is a vulnerable party or a part or a power differential. You know, or things of that nature. Right, and that's you. Then you really understand it. That's what you know. Like I was saying, that's the big problems that institutions in general, Jewish institutions, don't have enough of these guidelines and rules in place. But yeah, in terms of adults, where it's an issue about consensual and can, can you trust people, you know, it's like I said before, I, I, you know, on one hand, I hear that pushback. On the other hand, it's like, you know, well, why can't you trust me to read by the candlelight? Why can't you trust me to do this? You know, a lot of halacha is, is not we think you're going to willfully sin, but you're going to be in a situation which is going to lead to a result that you had not intended and had not desired, you know? So it's the standard safeguards. Uh, if somebody really wants to sin, they're not going to do the laws of Yichud. It's interesting that those things, those different, uh, those different things, like protection versus temptation, are mixed up in the same uh, mold of Yichud, right? What do you mean? In the same parameters of Yichud to deal with both cases where someone requires protection. Right. Cases where, There's uh, temptation. That we're not distinguishing between those yeah. two in terms of what right. the parameters are. We all get mixed together. That's a good point. Okay. Now, one woman can be with two men. Okay. That's only if the men are of upstanding moral character. If they are of a licentious nature, um, you know, sexually uh, loose, then then you even with ten men not because you know if they're all loose of morals then who knows then they're not going to be afraid to do something in the presence of another man um, and it's also the problem how many mice votes you are there was a story where ten men took a woman outside of the city on a bed and basically again that's now when you talk about ten men and one woman it sounds like rape it does not sound like consensual um, but from the framing of the Gemara you know maybe it is maybe this is a concern of rape but anyway Anyway, there are scenarios where it doesn't matter if there are other men around, where if there are people of not moral standing, we have to be concerned. Okay? Um, um, yeah, I think Rashi says, yes, Rashi says, thank you, I didn't explain that. Rashi says, it's sort of like the smuggling of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai after Yerushalayim, right? It was similar to that previous story of pretending that there was an infant death. This is the way they were all able to go outside and to, and to do something, you know, where nobody in the city would see them. Again, whether it was consensual on the woman's part is a very big question. Um, okay. I'm going to have Yosef Teda. The Mechabri bit, you should know that when people are all in it together, they're not afraid of their, you know, of, of, of what they're doing. Um, they're not embarrassed. The Mechabri Be'asarvigandi You know, ten people will get together and they'll steal a, like a beam, you know, because you need all ten people to carry the beam. What was that movie? What was uh, um, something 11? Ocean, Ocean's 11 or something? <laughs> so, okay, so you need 11 people to pull off some type of a, uh, of a scheme or something, um, and they're not, 
they're not about to one another. They're all in it together. Okay? Name um, them Let me bring a proof to this that it matters if they are um, fruitsim. Um, when a man and woman, woman a man who uh, suspected his wife of being in private uh, of committing adultery going in private with another man she's a sota they have to go to Yerushalayim so the Beistin assigns two Tamide uh, Chachamim to accompany them to Yerushalayim Shemi Lest the, they, the man and wife have sex on the way and then the sota water won't work because they're not allowed to have sex after she becomes a sota so the Gemara says basically it's to prevent the yichud situation between husband and wife. So the Gemara says, "Tamid chamin in inishamalo." Why does it have to be Torah sages? You know, you know, Torah students. Let it just be normal people to prevent yichud. So the Gemara says, "No, shani tamid chamin diyadi la shriyebe." No, no, no. That's different because you need people to know who know Torah because they have to warn him and say, "Don't have sex with your wife." If so, it'll negate the effects of the water. So, but in order to prevent yichud, you don't need it. You need them there to actually be able to give him proper instruction. But you would not need them to be tamid chachamim to prevent yichud. Now, here's another limit. We're only talking about when is it that two men suffice? Only if it's in the city. If they're going on a on a journey. You need three men. One of them will have to go to the bathroom, and the other two, the man and the woman, will be left alone. If there's only two men, they're not always they're not always going to be together if they're on the, a journey. One will have to sometimes go off the road for a few minutes. So therefore, in that case, you need three men to prevent that situation from happening. Okay, so the Gemara says, Name him is Let me come and bring the support for this. There are two uh, Torah students that accompany this man and wife on the way to Yerushalayim, this with who's when she's a sota, lest they have lest the husband and wife have sex. So why do you need two students? Two in him that makes three men. So why do you need three men? Two men should be enough. So, so the Gemara says no. But you need the two not in order to prevent Yichud. One extra man would have might have been able to prevent Yichud. But you need the two so that if he does have sex with his wife, they will testify to that when they get to Yerushalayim and stop the Karnim from doing the Sota process that nobody wants to do if it's not necessary for at least the reason that it's just scraping away God's name. Okay? So that's why you need it. But again, not to prevent Yichud. To prevent Yichud, they wouldn't have to be Torah scholars. They wouldn't have to be two of them. You need the two and you need them to be Torah students for other reasons. Alright, now the Gemara says like this. Rav and Rav Yehuda have a Ka'azi Ba'orcha. Rav and Rav Yehuda were going on the way. Have a Ka'aza, he eats a And a certain woman walked in front of them. Amalei Rav Rav Yehuda. So Rav said to Rav Yehuda, Dalkar ech mikmei So now you see a little bit of a very different ethos and attitude towards women than we have. Um, so Rav said to Rav Yehuda, you know, lift up your legs. You know, quick, run, run, run. Get, a, get, a, you know, get in front of her. We shouldn't be walking, you know, in the same space that she's there. Why? To, to escape Gehenim. Okay, the fires of Gehenim will be uh, sexually tempted and will fall into Gehenim. Now, again, you know, this becomes the issue that I also mentioned before about this whole question about is this parallel? You know, a man can't be with a woman, a woman can't be with a man, or is it basically totally from the male perspective that we're afraid of the threat power of the male Yetzir Hara and the woman as the object of sexual temptation? You know, which certainly seems to emerge from these uh, stories. Okay? 
No, it just means a woman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's a very common phrasing. You know, it just means there's a woman walking there. You know? Um, does your English say otherwise? Hahi <laughs> normally doesn't mean a certain woman. There was somebody. Yeah. All right. So, okay. I don't understand, right? There's two of us. We're both Kshirim. There's one woman. What are you concerned about? Okay? So, Well, you think we're custom enough? Who says that we're good? We're enough of upstanding character like me and you. Alec, you go, my, what would be the type of upstanding character that you wouldn't have to worry about? You go, Rabbi Hanina Bar Papi like Rabbi Hanina Bar Papi and his colleagues, they were big, big Hasidim. But your normal people, this isn't enough. And now what we're getting, getting into is this question, right, about like, are we, are, um, how much aid do we, are we machmir and yichud beyond normal parameters? We'll see in a minute. This doesn't even sound like a chumrah. This sounds like, at least the way it's presented, maybe not. You could read it as like, he's being a little bit extra from. Actually, maybe I should reframe it. Actually, it does sound like he's being extra from. You know, only the greatest God of Lador is who the mission is talking about. Really? The mission isn't talking about Rav and Rav Yehuda? So it does sound like an extra chumrah, but some we've shown him don't read it that way. And the Rambam basically rules that, you know, these halachot only apply to Kshayrim, and nowadays nobody's a kosher. So nowadays even two men and a woman is not enough. Which then raises the question, so what is enough? Is three men enough? The Gemara says if people are really in ten wouldn't be enough. So you can never have a, maybe the only things that are allowed are multiple men and multiple women. But any case of a single man or a single woman, no matter how many of the other sexes present, would always be considered yichud. It's only not yichud when it's like a, you know, you know multiple numbers of each, of each, from each, of each sex. So, uh, that is actually, the Ramam actually takes this Gemara seriously. Halakha, we don't rule this. We rule that we are considered kshayrim, and the normal rules do apply. We also do rule that the, uh, a difference about whether you're in city or whether you're traveling is also relevant, okay, and that also gets to questions about things that are, let's say, late at night, so you're afraid that somebody might not off to sleep and so on. You know, that comes up, let's say, somebody is having his, uh, either, you know, either his uh, friend who's a girl or his girlfriend over, you know, it's an apartment, he's got, you know, his apartment mates are all sitting up watching TV, right? So there's, you know, multiple men and whatever. You know, is that a problem? It's at night, somebody might not often go to sleep. How much is that like the issues of Baderech? These are all very, like, relevant types of questions. Um, I should say, but again, it is quite fascinating that although what to us, I think, clearly seems like a Chumra read of this, they'll say, so let's run and escape Gehenim does not sound like technically we're being over. Sounds like you're being very machmir. Rambam actually reads that Lamas. I had somebody that asked me a really good question, which is, what would you say nowadays? So fine, you say in general we're considered to be kshayrim. Okay, but what would you say nowadays if people were there who were like, you know, not observant religious people, mm-hmm. but people who basically, they're not like, you know, sexually promiscuous, but, you know, if they have a long-term committed relationship, it'll be, you know, obviously, you know, they'll be having sex outside of marriage. But it's not like they're sleeping with people left and right, right? They, they, they have sex out in the context of a long-term committed relationship. Is that person considered prutzen now? And then you couldn't use that person to count towards, you know, saying that it's not a yichud problem, right? How exactly do you define prutzen in a contemporary context? Like, there are people who are prutzen, right? There are people who do have one-night stands and they'll, you know, use that, you know, take, take you know, regular 
opportunities to sleep with people and so on. But let's say somebody who does it outside of marriage, but in the context of a real committed relationship, right? Where would that fall? A really good question. You know, how about, yeah. How about in antiquity during the time of this Gemara, somebody had a long-term relationship outside of marriage, it considered to be a purpose, no? I don't know. That's a good question. That's a question we're asking. Okay. The Gemara, the Gemara, I know. I don't know. I don't know why that makes the asking about antiquity makes it an easier question. I don't know what the Gemara's definition is. I'm serious. All right. So let's take a look. So the Gemara says like this: I'm a Rav. If somebody goes into Yichud, you would give lashes to him, presumably also to her, but you do not say the woman is forbidden. Okay? Because if, let's say, she's a married woman and you would be, you would, you would say, oh, now we have to be afraid she slept with this guy. I mean, there'll be enormous consequences. Right? You'd have to leave her husband and so on. So you give lashes for transgressing Yichud, but you do not say that you presume they have sex, they had sex. You say they transgressed Yichud, so we're going to give you lashes, meaning rabbinic lashes, not biblical, right? But we're going to really, this is like, you know, the public modesty police, right? We're going to enforce this and really be on top of this and make sure that people aren't doing this, but we're not going to suspect people of having had sex. That would be enormous for consequences. Now, Tosa says, even if she's a single woman, for example, we're not going to suspect her of having sex to make her usher to a Kohen. It was a type of a, of a man that would have made her usher to a Kohen. So we will give lashes for transgressing Yichud. We're going to really be mocked on that, but we're also not going to draw conclusions and assumptions that she had sex, which will have, you know, long-term and disaster consequences. Yes, Jacob. Because even if, well, first of all, Rahi says it, and second of all, <laughs> because even if it's assumed to be biblical from this pasuk, it's not like a lotase in the Torah. Okay. So, all right, and the phrase Malkin Al normally refers to we, the rabbis, enforce this with a rabbinic lashes, right? It's not the language that the Gemara uses for a Doraisa Malkus. So she's um, becoming a that the husband then proceeds with that. What? I mean, the husband could become a sota for a certain type of a yichu, which is preceded with warning and so on, mm-hmm. but that's not this issue, correct? <laughs> when do we give lashes only if she's a single woman? If she's a married woman, no. We won't even give lashes. Because we might say we're not going to make her forbidden to the husband, but you know what? You know, who, who's going to pay attention? Once they hear that the guy and that maybe even she got lashes for going into private, everybody's going to draw their own conclusions. And that's going to raise questions about whether her kids are mamzerim. Okay? So therefore, we cannot allow for those types of con- people to infer, make those type of inferences, which, you know, people will, so will, will obviously make, so we can't even give lashes in that case. Marzuta um, Now, Marzuta would give lashes, but he would make an announcement. He would say, yes, we gave lashes to so-and-so and so-and-so who are in Yichud together, but everybody should know that we're not assuming, that we're not assuming they had sex. Okay? And don't worry, her kids, you know, are totally kosher. Okay, she didn't tra- she didn't commit adultery. So Amalei Rav Nachman Mifarhet Yel Ravashi Marnami Liokli Lachri. Oh, there's a solution. Give lashes and just make an announcement. Everybody will pay attention to the announcement. So the Gemara says Amalei No. Some people will hear about the lashes and not hear about the clarification announcement. Okay. Also, the funny thing is, you can't actually say in your announcement, "We know she didn't have 
sex, right. right? You just can't say, don't draw any conclusions. Yeah, that's going to do a lot of good. Right. The okay. <laughs> will ignore the remarks that they give. Right. Okay. Amar Rav said, Rav, um, not only do you give lashes if somebody was over on Euclid, but if somebody has a bad reputation about presumably sexual matters, this guy is known to be a womanizer, a serial adulterer, etc., but nobody actually saw Yichud, you would give him lashes because, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Shenemar, which is a dangerous thing because then, you know, people want to get somebody in trouble. They just spread some rumors, right? Um, so anyway, Shenemar, Albany, Kiloto Vashmuran, do not, my son, because the, 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 the report is, is, is a bad report. You know, the reputation is a bad one. You know, what people are saying about you. So the Albany, do not, is a language of lotase. It's like a language of, it is forbidden. So because it's like being prohibited to act in a way that leads to a bad reputation, if you do, even if, there, if there's nothing substantive behind it, you've transgressed something. So this is really about protecting, I don't know, you know, it's not protecting your reputation if we give you lashes it just <laughs> reinforces your bad reputation it's protecting the town sort of you know modesty standards or keeping everybody you know you know trying to keep a certain standard of behavior for everybody by, by acting on this again but it's dangerous if you don't have real evidence okay Marzutra mostly afsira akatfe Marzutra would put a yoke on a person's neck if a person sort of like putting him in the stockades if a person had this bad reputation umikrile al and he'd say and he'd say this pasuk you know about this person he'd like announce this pasuk about this person this person has a bad reputation etc but the thing is he seems he did it as an alternative to giving him lashes okay so he had some type of a public shaming but, but we write but not actual giving him lashes okay back to laws of Yichud Amar Rabbah said Rabbah Here's another very important exception. If the husband is in the city or in the town, we're not afraid of Yichud because the woman is always concerned that his that, that that the husband will drop by. Now the Mishnah, if you remember, it said If a man's wife is with him, he's there's not a Yichud problem. But if the wife isn't with him, even if she's in the city, you know we assume that men are going to give themselves more liberty, or certainly in the power dynamic between husband and wife, you know where the where where the husband was more, you know, was more in a position of power, um, she would be more afraid of him dropping in than he's afraid of her dropping in. Um, so therefore, for the case for, for him, it's only not a problem if, if his wife is with him right there. For her, it's not a problem if her husband is in the town. There's an interesting debate in the, in the post-gym about, let's say, her husband is in the town, but she's not at home. Meaning, first of all, let's say her husband's in the town, but her husband doesn't know where she is. Okay? So, yeah, my husband is, uh, I'm going to go over to this neighbor's house. My husband has no idea where I am, but he's in the town. Presumably, what good does that do that he's in the town? You're not afraid of your husband. He has no idea where you are, right? So presumably, the husband has to know where, the, where his wife is to, de- to say that now it's not a problem because he's in the town and he might drop in at any time, right? But there's other interesting questions as well. Let's say, for example, her husband knows where she is, but she's not at home, right? So she's at work, working late at night with somebody, with, with a male colleague, and her husband knows where he is, she is, but the husband doesn't drop by to her law offices at 8 o'clock at night, right? He would never do such a thing, right? So is that also considered a case of Bala year? A lot of very interesting halachic questions around the parameters of these things. Okay, back to the Gemara. If her husband is in the town, she, we're not concerned about Yichud. Amar of Yosef, here's another big exception. 
If the doorway is open to the public thoroughfare, there's not a yichud concern even if in their house, because anybody can see in or anybody could just walk in and so on. Some interesting questions. What's considered patuach? Is it enough that the door does the door have to be open, or is it enough that it's unlocked? Right. Let's say it's unlocked or whatever, but no, but people would know not to go in without announcing themselves or so on. What about if you had a window that people could see in, but the doorway wasn't open? Would people have to be able to see in everywhere? You know, there's all these very interesting questions of what would constitute petach patuach l'rishut harabim. But that becomes a major area way in which we put some limits on the laws of yichud. Um, now the Gemara continues. Rav Bibi equal the Bay Rav Yosef. Rav Bibi came to the house of Rav Yosef. Basar de Karach Rista after they had bread. After after they had their meal, So Rav Yosef said to the people of the, basically, he, it seems what happened is, the way Raj explains, that they ate in the second story, they went down to, they, that's where they ate, he and his wife, uh, Rav Yosef, went down to the main story, and Rav Bibi was left um, upstairs, and, um, and uh, Rav Yosef said, you know, take the, st- the, the stepladder away from the, uh, so he can't get from upstairs to the main floor. Take the stepladder away from Bibi, because he didn't want Bibi to be able to come down and be with his wife, when he, and he might have been elsewhere in the house. So the Gemara says, Rama, Rabba, Bala, and What are you concerned about? The husband is around, Rav Yosef was around, what was he concerned about? So the Gemara says, no, shining Rabibi to Shuva Rabibi was a, 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 the Shushpanim are like the very close, intimate friends of a person, particularly in the context of like a groom. And therefore, because he was so comfortable, they were like, you know, they were childhood pals and friends and so on, he might, he might not be as trepidatious and he might take more liberties. Now, I don't really understand that. First of all, if the issue of Balabir is that the woman is afraid, the the husband would drop by. What difference does it mean, make how, how chummy this guy is with the husband, right? Well, you know, the woman is still afraid she can't, you know, do something because the guy will drop by. And also, just because you're chummy doesn't mean your friend isn't going to be afraid, going to be upset if you're taking, you know, if you're, if you're fooling around with his wife. But I assume what it means, what it must mean is, and this again gets to this issue about intentional sinning versus, you know, versus sort of uh, giving into temptation. If you feel very comfortable, you know, and you feel like then, you know, who knows, you'll do things you wouldn't normally do, you know, you'll sit on the couch next to one another, no, you don't have anything like nefarious in mind, but you know, you'll put yourself in situations which normally would maintain different types of social boundaries, and therefore one thing could potentially lead to another. Presumably that's what the Gemara is saying, although I have to tell you, I don't really fully understand it. Okay. Right, the guy Stephen was very comfortable with him. Yes, what does Rashi say? I'm not sure what he means. Ba'Allah's weeks flow, it sounds like there's a relationship between the woman, the wife, and and uh, the like, yeah. Oh, because it's Ba'alat Brit. Ba'alat Brit Lo. Shavinte. Oh, so the wife and her were like very close? What's his Brit? Well, Ba'alat Brit, I guess that's sort of the sense of like these very close, intimate types of, you know, friends. Yeah, exactly. But I, 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 missed, the, I missed the feminine. Is that right in the Aramaic? Shush, the Shush Vinisei Havai? Wait, Shushvini say is his Shushbana 
Havai she was? No, but then why isn't it oh the Gaisa she is Gaisa Bay? What is how's your English translated it? Yeah, she was a close friend of his. Oh, she was a close friend of his. Well that explains that answers my question. I just didn't get the uh, grammar there. Okay, I guess I just found it so shocking, right. given all of the social boundaries in the Gemara between men and women, that this married woman would be this chum, this you know, with this uh, guy. But now it makes a lot more sense. Okay, got it. Now I got it. Okay. So that, so that answers all my questions. Just have to know how to translate the word. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so she was very chummy with him, and that could lead to indiscretion. Okay, and maybe also she would like forget the fact and not be as trepidatious of her husband's presence because she felt so comfortable around Rav Bibi. All right, that explains it. Okay, I'm a Rav Kahana. So basically, what you have here is. You've got a case of two rooms, okay? You have an inner room and an outer room, okay? And here's the door, and this is, I don't know, this is like, you know, this is the outdoors, okay? So you have here, you might have women in here and men here, or the reverse. And the question is, are we choshishin yishum yichud? So what Rashi says this means is, are we afraid if that somebody might go into the other room and then it'll become a yichud situation? So for Rashi, it's a question of are we going to go there? Right now, it's not a yichud situation. They're in different rooms. But are we going to not allow this because it could become a yichud situation? We're going to make a gzera, don't allow X. It'll become, it might become yichud. So what's the first statement? The first statement is... Um, if men are on the outside and women on the inside, there's no concern of yichud, right? Because yichud is one woman with multiple men is not yichud. If she goes into the outer room, it won't be yichud. The only concern would be a man would go into the inner room. But all of his friends will say, "What the heck are you going into that room with all the, where, where the women are? You know, you know, what do you, what business do you have there?" So he's not going to. He'll have no excuse to go there. So it's no no concern that it will lead to yichud. All right. However. Um, if it was the reverse we'll just write this way okay if this was the outdoors right if it was the reverse then he says we are concerned of Yichud because a man will say oh no I have to go this way I have to go out to the store and then he'll go into this room with the women and then there'll be a Yichud situation right but we're not but but the woman will have well first of all even if she does go into that room it won't be Yichud because it'll be multiple men so this is the case we're concerned about Yichud not the reverse one minute okay the Masnisa Tana Ipcha the Brisa has the reverse concern the Brisa says no in this case, okay, he might go here and it'll be yichud, but he'll never act on it because he's afraid that somebody else is going to come out because he also has to go to the store. So this won't lead to a yichud situation. Whereas in this case, better than redrawing the men and the women, okay, whereas in this case, it is yichud because one guy can sneak into this room when nobody is paying attention and he's not afraid that other people are going to come to the room because nobody else has a business thing in that room. Okay, so, he's, so that's the concern. Okay, the says one way and the Baita says the other way. We're going to be machmir and say both ways are a problem. Now, this is a big issue because the way I just explained it, which is Rashi's way, it doesn't start with Yichud, but we're not going to allow a certain situation because it could lead to Yichud. Rambam and Shulchan Aruch say different. Rambam and Shulchan Aruch say, if nobody has gone into any other room, it's not Yichud. They're in separate rooms. The question is, if the guy actually went into this room, is it Yichud or not? 
Okay, even though he's there with the women, right? Or you know, whether which is whichever is the outside and whichever is the inside, maybe it's not easy because maybe he's concerned that some other guy is going to come. It's sort of like a bow of ear. Okay, even when he's already there, the question is, is it yichud or not? Because maybe there'll be some you know exchange between the rooms. Okay, so the big difference is so the answer is both ways is a problem, and we don't say you get off. But there's a huge difference between Rashi and the Rambam's read. According to Rashi's read, we, we, we would not allow certain cases because they could lead to Yichud. According to the Shulchan Aruch, it's only a problem when there actually is Yichud, not that some case might become it. And let me give you a very common scenario that happens, okay, <laughs> that I get sometimes shyless about. Um, um, my sister is uh, landing in, uh, you know, is, you know, is landing in New York tonight, and um, and uh, she, she needs a place to stay. Can she stay, you know, in in my apartment? She'll stay in my room, but you know, I've got my uh, my roommates are in the other rooms or not, right? Is that okay or not, right? So if it's a case of night, am I going to go to sleep? It's only one roommate, right? Well, you know, one, you know, would that be a problem of yichud? Okay, everybody sort of get the scenario. I mean, there are other variations of this. Okay, you can all tell me why that particular case isn't a problem, but there are variations of this case. Okay, so do we say, well, look, you know, as long as she goes into the room she's staying in and she closes the door before you, let's say, this is what I, you know, to advise people, before you close the apartment door, right, you keep the apartment door open, okay, or, you know, or everybody is up, so you have two men or whatever you've got, and then before it's time to go to sleep and people are going to sleep or whatever, everybody goes into their room, you know, the last guy sort of closes the apartment door. Is that okay? So I think that's okay. Everybody's in their own room. There's no yichud. Uh, the Tzitzelias, agrees with me or I agree with it so a lot of posts can say oh the house for Shalom that's no good because it would be so easy to become a case of Yichud imagine she got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or go to the kitchen and some other guy was up or whatever no you know there would, it would be a Yichud situation and my answer is okay it would be a Yichud situation but it's not a Yichud situation right now so whoever said you can't allow a scenario because it might become right a Yichud situation right now it isn't one so that really is this case in the Gemara and it really is a debate between Rashi and Shulchan Aruch about how to read and the Rambam how to read this case and the Shulchan Aruch reads it like the Rambam that if it right now currently isn't a Yichud situation we're not concerned that it will become one alright so now the Gemara says like this okay Abaye dear Gulfi when now this is very interesting when men and women gather together for what purposes if you look at Rashi Rashi says Gulfi Makom Kfutzat Anashim Binashim Oli Drasha Oli Chupa so men and women would get together to hear a drasha or to go to a chuppah. So according to Rashi, the idea of having separate seating at a chuppah or separate seating at a drasha already starts in this Gemara, because that's how he understands the scenario. And a baye would put, um, would put like, uh, what do you call it, would put like pots, you know, between, between, to keep the men and the women separate. Potted, He'd, potted, potted plants, okay? So they would trip over them, they'd make noise to prevent yichud. Now, not because there was a halacha in principle, you couldn't have them sitting together, but somehow he figured one person would sneak over to the other side. Again, I don't exactly get how it's going to be yichud, because one person sneaks over to a side that is all the other sex, you know? But anyway, he wanted to keep the men and women separate, okay? Rava, dear Khan, Rava had like reeds to keep them separate. Amar Avin, Sakva Deshasa Rigla, the weakness of the year is during the Regalim. That's when everybody gets together to hear the Drashot, and that's when we're afraid that there are a lot of men and women together, and they might, a man and woman might sneak off and be in Yichud. Okay, Hanach, so a very interesting thing about this whole issue, about keeping men and women separate. 
Now here's a story. Um, there were these uh, cap- women that were taken captive, the Asilu Narda, that were brought to Narda. They were redeemed, they were brought to Narda. Askinu Lebe Rav Amram Chasida. And they brought them into the house of Rav Amram the Chasid. These women were going to stay in his house until they could, I guess, get, I guess, get back to their husbands or wherever their towns were. Ashku Darga Mikamayu. So they removed the stepladder. They were staying in the attic. They removed the stepladder so they could be, you know, protected and in their own space and nobody could go up to be with them. Um, now, now, one of them was walking on the, you know, over there on the uh, second story. The uh, sun sort of shone through the skylight and uh, Rav Amram saw her and was uh, sexually overcome with lust. And Shakli Rav Amum Lidarga, now he took therefore the ladder, um, the step, ten people, it was so heavy that even ten people would not be able to move it, and it was like a Yaakov Avinu with the rock or whatever, he, he moved it on his own, Salik Va'azil, he was running up, so going up the step to, to, to be with this woman. Kimata Lepalga Dargo, when he got to halfway up the, up the, uh, up the step, Ifshik, he separated his left, his, his legs, like, you know, he held himself firm. Ramakola, and he yelled out, and he, and he gave, gave and, he, and he yelled out, Nurave Amram, there's a fire in the house of Amram. Fire, fire! Okay, so Usher Ramana, so all the people gathered to put out the fire. And um, so, um, and the rabbis, you know, the rabbinic students came, and Amrulay, they said to them, Kasaftinan, we've embarrassed you, we've shamed you, we came here, there wasn't a fire, it was clear what was going on, okay, so we've shamed you. Amrulay, he said to them, Mutu Tichsifu it is better that Amram should be uh, ashamed in this world and you should not be embarrassed about him in the world to come if I'm going to sin and well, I'll be in the world to come and I'll be your teacher and you're, you know, I'll shame you in terms of my sins better that I should be embarrassed now what? Moving the ladder from yeah, the ladder, yeah. you know, yeah. revokes for me the triangle shirtwaist fire kind of thing. Yeah. Triangle shirtwaist fire? Where there was a, in the 19th century. Oh, that was that whole, the, the, the whole, like, in the, in the garment district? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because of the labor practices. Oh, I didn't realize that. Wow, 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 I did not realize that. Yeah, fire. fire, right. I also was thinking, of course, about the whole story about, you know, the, the guy who was, uh, you know, who was going up the steps to the prostitute, you know, and then he yeah, saw the tzitzis and whatever. Yeah. Same type of an image. What? Uh, I forget. That was, uh, what's his name? is Mizuman L'chai Olababa. This guy, Sori Navodazara. I forget who was talking about. That wasn't a rabbi. That was, uh, like, a, um, uh, a rabbinic student or whatever. Anyway, one minute. So, let's get to the end of the story. Okay, so, Ashbei... Did not the Yansik Mine? He 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 sort of swore. You know uh, what's the, what's the what's the transitive verb of swore? He um, he uh, imposed an oath. I don't know anyone. His Yetzer Hara that it should leave him. Nafik Mine and his Yetzer Hara departed from him. Kiamuda Denura and it was like a pillar of fire. Obviously here you got the pillar of fire going on. Okay, and the power of the lust, etc. Amrle he said to it, Chazi Daat Nura. See, you are flame and I fire and I am flesh. And I am greater than you. So that's sort of echoing back to Gerah Chata'av, right? Here is somebody that was able to have uh, mastery over 
his Yetzer Hara, although obviously, but it also shows the power of the Yetzer Hara, that what he was, how he was so tempted. Okay, so the interesting question, right? What's the lesson from this story? It goes back to my question about being in different rooms, right? Is the lesson from this story that you see, it's not enough to be in different rooms because you could still be tempted. So you need to have a, a, actual more protections, right? Look what happened here, right? Is that like the lesson of the story or is that just more like a, you know, a sort of a, chassi, a story of like, you know, like of, of, uh, of, of, of an extreme heroism or, you know, an agarita, which is not really of uh, exactly halachic import. Jacob, what did you want to so say? That's exactly my question. Like, is it teaching us a halach? about even many women and one man right. could, or is right. it like the frame of the conversation for Yichud is a Yetzer Hara that Yes, I think that's the point. I think we're going to see a couple of stories which are just going to show look how powerful the Yetzer Hara is particularly about sex and how difficult it is to conquer it and therefore we should take very seriously why we need all these laws to prevent ourselves from being in situations of temptation. Okay, but whether to actually learn from this meaning the Tzitzel Yezer actually makes, you know, you know, with, with, says the point I was saying before that separate rooms is not a problem, right? I mean, again, maybe here the problem was that he could see from one room to the next, you know, separate. But anyway, but uh, he deals with you know this story and its halachic implications. Yes, Rabbi. Yeah, I mean, maybe I missed something. This case with the uh, pots that make noise and clanging in the public gathering, but there's multiple people. Yeah, I didn't get that either. I made that point. I don't understand exactly what the concern was. Maybe somebody will sneak past and then they'll go into you know they'll make a liaison with somebody. The other side. Yeah. Right. Right. But yeah. Exactly. So that also is a case where it's not currently a situation of yichud, but we're trying to prevent it from leading into certain situations. So that's question. Does that now become halacha, or does that show how you know how word to the wise type of a thing? Yes. No, he's going up. The women are. Oh, the descent into Gehenna. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting point. Okay. Okay. Um, now the Gemara says like this. Um, okay. Rav Meir having mitlotes over Avera. Rav Meir used to mock people that would give, do sins, but sin in this context means sexual sins. People would give in to their sexual desires. One day, the Satan, which he says is the Yetzirah, appeared to him, although again, I don't know if we don't personify, you know, it can't just be his internal Yetzirah anyway, but okay, personified himself, uh, you know, appeared to him as a woman on the other side of a river. And he was, uh, uh, you know, he was attracted to her, overcome by desire. There was no passing between, you know, boat to take from one side of the river to the next. He grabbed hold of like a rope, the, you know, a rope that you would use to walk across, you know, to stable you if you were walking on a bridge. And there he was, he was like shimmying across the river on this rope. Okay? When he got to, to halfway, you know, across the rope, the uh, Yetzirah left him. And, you know, went easy on him. Amar, had they not, whether not that they announced up in heaven, take care with Rebbe Meir and his Torah, sort of makes you think of Eov, right? When God says, take care to not to preserve his life. Anyway, the whole Satan seducer. Anyway, had they, it, it was not that they announced it up in heaven. Shavi lid tartimoy. I would have, value, I would have, uh, valued your life at like two, two bucks. 
you know, two dollars. So two more, meaning, you know, your life was in my hand, it was worthless, here you were, you were about to sin, so you're a big talker. Rabbi Akiva, having Rabbi Akiva used to mock people that would give in to their sexual desire. So once the Satan appeared to him like a woman at the top of a palm tree, he started climbing up the palm tree. So when he got halfway up, Amar, he said, were they not to announce in, Rekia, in, in the heavens, be careful with Rabbi Akiva and his Torah, I would have valued your life at like $2. Okay. Plimo, one also wonders about some of the uh, imagery here, but I won't go there. Plimo, have a rugged lemaymer. <laughs> Sometimes a palm tree is just a palm tree. Plimo, have a rugged lemaymer called Yomha. Plimo would say every single day, Gira be'ene de Satan. Uh, arrows into the eyes of the Satan. This is the Yetzirah. Also, again, Yetzirah really is all in this context about the sexual lust and desire. Okay. Yom Achad Mali Yom Adikipurahavi. One day it was Erev Yom Kippur. Idmi Lekaanya. The Yetzirah appeared to him like a poor person. Azakarabava. So he called out. Uh, he called out on the doorway. You know, he said, "Hey, I'm a poor person. Come, come you know, come, you know, come help me." So he brought out him some bread. I'm like, "Yo, makia idna." A day like today, if Erviom Kipper, clearly I'm a gavai. Everybody's on the outside. Everybody, excuse me, on the inside, having their suda masekes, having their meal. You're going to leave me on the outside. You're going to give me bread and send me away. I lay the I lay the They brought him indoors and they gave him bread to eat, to food to eat. I'm so he said to him, Yomakia inna kule alma ataka va'ana luchudai. So every today everybody is on the you know is by the table by their by their plates sitting at the table. I, you're having your feet, you're having me eat like separate from the rest of the family. So asu asu ataka. So they brought him to eat together with them at the table. He was sitting and his body was filled with like, you know, uh, pus-filled, uh, you know, uh, uh, what, uh, cor- uh, what are they called? Anyway, blisters, boils and blisters, sores. Um, um, he was doing something disgusting. I don't know, maybe he was popping his blisters. Amrlay, Tiv, so who was this that was, who was this Plimo? Says him, Tiv, Shapir, hey, you know what? Sit nicely. Don't be so disgusting. Amrlay, Haruli Kasa, said, give me, so so the Yetzir Hara, which is now this on, he said, give me a cup. Yaruli Kasa, they gave him a cup to drink, a cup of wine. Achmir Shadabe Keicho, so they, he sort of spat into it. You know, he uh, brought up his phlegm and he spat into the cup. So he's really acting like pretty disgusting. Okay? Narube, they yelled at him. Shaka Umis, he, prote- he acted like he had died. Shamu, so then Plimo heard David Kamri that people were saying Plimo Katogavra, Plimo just killed a man. Plimo Katogavra. So Arak Vitarshinafsa He ran outside of the city and he hid himself into the ba- into the bathroom, which was located, you know, and outside of the city. Um Basre, so the Yetzirah now looking like an, still looking like an Ani, followed him. Okay, he stopped pretending he was dead. Um Kame and he prostrated in front of him. So when he saw that it was uh, that uh, this Plimo was in great anguish, Polyenaka he revealed himself and said, "I'm the Yitzhara." So and he said to him, "You know why I did this to you? Because every day you tell you you want to poke my eyes out. You're saying arrows in your eyes. So why did you do this to me?" So what should I say? He said, "I want to try to deal with my Yitzhara. 
what should I be saying? You shouldn't say arrows into your eyes, which is, you know, you say God should yell at the Satan. Now, what the heck does this story mean? The Mar- I, I don't know, because it's obviously no longer talking about sexual desire, or at least this whole case of the Ani and the, and the blisters and all of that. Well, you know? Oh, bread is sex. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, everything is sex. And, you know, and maybe this is sort of like, you know, that it's like it's all seems it's all very ni- I, interesting. The Marsha says, and I think he's right, the Marsha also reminds us of an Agatha. Right, right, right. The Rama reminds of, us of an Agatha where it speaks about, you know, the Aether Hara starts off as like just a casual visitor, but if you get too chummy with him, he becomes, you know, he bring, comes into the house and he takes residence with you. So, you know, this is maybe talking about how easy it is to let yourself, like maybe he's trying to demonstrate to him how easy it is that people can, you know, ultimately get seduced by the Aether Hara, you know? They, they, they compromise a little bit and then they compromise a little bit more. Next thing you know, he's there with you in the house and then it's completely disgusting what you have allowed to happen to you. You know, of course, it's ironic because you're supposed to be nice to the poor people but there seems to be some metaphor the other thing I wonder and here for our the psychiatrist in the room um, is the whole question about right about trying to destroy your desire rather than to uh, you know sort of uh, acknowledge your humanity and find ways to channel it in healthy ways right so don't try to poke out the eyes say, you know, yell at him, like, you know, you yell because you try to not destroy something, but you want to stop it from influencing you in a certain way and redirect. Yeah, I'm just doing my job. Yeah, but it's meant that way, but I also think read in a psych... I understand. Right, so that's a way of also then translating it is, it's part of our humanity, God created us as part of ourselves, let's not try to fool ourselves by thinking we can destroy it and that'll be counterproductive. Right. Don't think you're so great. Right, but here I think it's a little more pointed. Don't yeah. think that the way of dealing with it is to try to somehow destroy it. Yes. No, the Yates has got because he's afraid of God. Okay, right. Let's. Right. revealing itself is kind of, you know, you tell yourself things that you're not. Uh, or right, which is like those little compromises, and suddenly he gets more and more into yeah. the house, so right? And then you your true motivation right, 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 right. right. Yeah, yeah, very good. Right. Right. Right, and all of this is also why, if we need God's help, why we also need like the rabbi's help, you know, sort of the message, why we need these laws of Yichud. Let's try to read just a little bit more because we only have to finish up tomorrow. Um, so it says like this. I know it's such a such a good Gemara. Okay, so anyway, Rabbi Chiyabar Ashi every time he would fall on his face, meaning every time he would do Tachanun, God can save us from the evil desire. One day his wife heard him saying this. He said, I don't understand. It's been many years since we've had sex. So, and here it sounds like he still has the sexual desire and he's asking to be saved from it. So, my time why is he saying that? So, one says, so one day he was, Rabbi Chibar actually was learning in the garden 
Kashtanaksha, so she, uh, you know, uh, sort of beautified herself, um, and also like a little bit uh, in a way that she also wasn't recognizable. Chalfavitanya Kamein, she walked back and forth in front of him, caught his eye, and he didn't realize that this was his wife. Amarwa, he said to her, Mana, who are you? Amra, Ana Haruta. I'm Haruta, which was a famous prostitute. Dahadri Miyom, I just got back today. So Tava, he, you know, he propositioned her for sex. Amalei, she said to him, Go get for me that uh, pomegranate. If you want to have sex with me, go get for me that pomegranate that's at the top of that tree. Um, so he, he leaped up and he ran up the tree and he got her the pomegranate. So talk about sexual imagery. Anyway, then he came home. Now it doesn't say whether they had sex or not. <laughs> Presumably they did. Anyway, he came home and he was all feeling terribly guilty. So Havikashagra Devasayutanura, his wife was, uh, was, was firing up the oven. So he went and he threw himself into the oven because he wanted to kill himself. He was feeling so guilty. Also one wonders the whole, like, you know, Tamar and Yehuda metaphor, right? He was going to throw him into the oven. It was Yehuda who couldn't control his sexual desire. He was going to let her throw herself into the oven or get thrown into the oven or whatever. Amalei, she said to him, My high, what is this? Why are you trying to throw yourself in the oven? Amala, So he, he confessed. Here's what happened. I, I was I you know, I I I slept with this prostitute. Amalei, she said to him, Anahavai, that was me, buddy. So he didn't believe her. simani, he gave until she gave him simani and talk about Yehud and Tamar, right? She showed him that she was the prostitute. It was the woman he was supposed to be sleeping with, who was appearing as a prostitute, and he slept with her because of the seduction of being of something different or new and thinking it was a prostitute. Okay, that might be true that I didn't sin, but I was trying to sin. And he still felt terribly guilty. All the days of that righteous man, he would, be, he would, he, he would fast. Until he died from, you know, through, uh, through self-denial, through fasting. Again, notice that this is, I think, an exact continuation of the story of poking out the eyes of the Satan. He had sexual desire. How did he try to deal with it? He didn't have sex with his wife. That's not the way you deal with your sexual desire. Actually, you have sex with your wife. If you try to deny your, your humanity and your sexual desire, then ultimately this other temptation, you're going to be led to sin. So you have to find the licit ways of expressing it, right, and not these other ways of expressing it. Um, okay. Yes. That she revealed to him, whatever. Right. Yeah. But he still has this terrible guilt. Okay. I, I know you have to start. So I'm going to try. If they're not here yet, I'm going to, are they outside? I'm going to try to read. We'll just read very quickly to the end. Okay. Fine. So also her husband annuls the vows and God will forgive her what's he talking about why does if, 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 her, if her husband annuls them why does God have to forgive her she may decided to be a Nazir and her husband annulled it she didn't realize her husband annulled it in her mind she was consciously sinning she thought she was still a Nazir she was drinking wine and becoming Tameh so therefore what do you see that even though it turned out she didn't sin because her husband had annulled it God still needed to forgive her so the, the act of 
sinning, like as consciously sinning, even if objectively it wasn't a sin, still requires forgiveness. You still become, you know, you still makes you into a sinner. Now, the Gemara is going to have one other case like this. Rabbi Akiva kavimati like psukah avibachi. When Rabbi Akiva came to the following pasuk, he would cry. Amar umami shenifkavim lecho basar chazir v'alav yada basar kleh. Somebody who wanted to eat chazir and accidentally ate some kosher meat. Amar Torah tzvicha kaparis v'slicha needs forgiveness. This woman wanted to sin, but turned out she didn't, and still God had to forgive her because she tried to sin and she she did what she believed to be was a sin, not that she attempted. She believed it was a sin. Somebody who tries to sin and succeeds in sinning and eats and eats meat, you know, eats pork. How much more so? Similarly, you say in the flip, somebody who objectively sinned but didn't do it willfully. No, he does not know and was guilty and will carry the burden of his sin. He would cry when he got to this pasuk. Somebody who tried to eat kosher fat, and ate non-kosher fat. Right, so he tried to do the right thing, but objectively he sinned. No, he bears his guilt. Somebody who tried to sin and succeeded in eating sin, how much more so needs forgiveness. All those who woe and moan and wail will wail over this, that even somebody who did not try to sin bears the burden of the sin. So the Torah holds you guilty for doing an act you believe to be a sin, even if it's not or for trying to do the right thing and accidentally sinning, right? So whether the objective or the subjective reality is a sense of guilt and sin and requires forgiveness. And in this context, I think also it's like you got to be careful the situations you put yourself into, lest they lead to sin, even if you were not intending to.